Welcome to the JA Show. So excited, so excited. We have an amazing guest today. He's got so much insights to share and it's so relevant, especially in the world that we live in today. Now, this episode is sponsored by an experienced and goal-oriented leader with wide expertise in the management of AI, machine learning, deep learning and data science. His name is Giuseppe Bonacorso. We are so honored and delighted to have him here share with us. We're so grateful for his support. And I'm just going to speak more about his experience so you can understand why, you know, with the background that he has as well on what he can share with us. So his experience spans projects for a wide variety of industries, including healthcare, B2C and military industries. He loves machine deep learning, data science strategy and digital innovation in the healthcare industry. He's currently also leveraging his interests and expertise as a head of data science in a pharmaceutical corporation. And to add to all of that amazing portfolio, you may recognize him as well from many of his best-selling machine learning books. He's published so many, so I'm just going to include a few here. Machine Learning Algorithms, Mastering Machine Learning Algorithms, Advanced Guide to AI, Fundamentals of Machine Learning, and Hands-On Uncertainty unsupervised learning with Python and he's an incredible storyteller as well. So I just want to welcome you to the show Giuseppe. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much Laura, very glad to be here. We're so glad to have you and I thought one of the first questions we wanted to ask you was we wanted to know more about you. You know what drove you to that career data science and AI field because you know, hearing your story, I know we've spoken about this before, but love for you to share this with our listeners today. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I, I have to start from my childhood because um, I remember my childhood uh, was the period of uh, Star Trek or this kind of um, series in the TV. And I was never fascinated by universe because I considered that we have a better universe inside us, inside our head. And I always were very, very interested in asking questions and trying to understand something that was clearly very difficult. But I remember some episodes, I still remember them. And one happened in my primary school um, and our teacher asked us uh, to, to define something about our mind. Uh, I, clearly the question was simpler, but I remember that I answered two things. Um, one was uh, about thinking and I said, I can think whatever I want and you cannot listen. Um, and th this was the beginning of my idea of uh, uh, something that is inside our brain, uh, the, the, the concept of mind. Uh, clearly, I was a small child, so it was difficult for me to, to, to understand this concept clearly, but uh, I tried to imagine the idea for a child of the small man inside your head that is listening. And in fact, my second question, uh, sorry, my second statement was uh, about my high. I said, uh, I, I don't know, but there is someone who is the high that can answer questions that can say, I want to, I, I, I like to. So this was the beginning of my interest. Um, it happened uh, at least uh, 30, 30 or more years ago. So wow, it was incredible. <laughs> 
Uh, absolutely incredible. Because when you say that, you think about the roots. What was the questions that you were asking when you were quite young? And it's amazing that you shared that story. And I know someone else in your life who's made such a great influence. And you shared this as well. And I thought, wow, this is something that we need to speak about. You quoted your father. He said, um, "When you said when you were when I was a small child, my father used to repeat." Anything is simple if you know how to do it. So describe that more for us and how that has helped you today. Yes, I, both my father and my mother had a very strong influence because they were uh, not scientific people. My father is an artist, is a retired uh, sculptor and teacher, and my mother is also a retired literature teacher. So from their side, I received a lot of input in the direction of art. In particular, in particular, fine arts. And I remember, yes, that I asked my father many times, uh, for example, when visited um, some churches where there were paintings, and I was astonished in front of them. And my common question was, is it difficult to achieve that level? And his answer was always the same, never. Uh, is uh, I mean, nothing is difficult if you learn how to do it. Um, in that moment, uh, I didn't realize, but now I'm clearly convinced that the meaning is the real meaning of, uh, of, of life. I mean, we, have, we can achieve whatever we want. Um, clearly, there, there can be a natural talent, but hard work and hard study is the only thing we have to do to achieve anything. And that message remained impressed in my memory. Uh, because together with that message, there was also the message of the, of uh, something that was far from my initial in, uh, interest. Uh, that was the the, 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 the lessons of uh, heart of um, literature that I received. But they were not something imposed. I really loved them. I remember visiting cities with my parents the first time I went to Rome. Um, I was not originally from Rome, uh, so the first time I visited Rome, Paris. London and my father explained me everything. It was a stunning experience for me because I was really fascinated by knowing how is it, it was possible to realize those things. And I'm still convinced that there is no separation among activities, among uh, intellectual activities. So uh, you can be a scientist, you can be a writer, you can be a painter, whatever. It's always the same. Uh, you, you change the scope, but it's always the same. And now I feel this thanks to the influence I received. And it's such a powerful mindset, isn't it? It truly is when you think that way. Like nothing is impossible. Truly, it isn't. And so when you know that as a young child and you see, and I remember that time when I was in Rome as well, I was just... I was in awe about how beautiful the place was. I thought, how did they create all these amazing places, even within that time, and how creative they were with the paintings. So truly it is when you know how to do it, but you have to have that desire as well. And so we can see with amazing work that you've done, you definitely have the desire and your drive as well. So also share with us that transition because we see, you know, where the world is moving now, the transition into data science and AI throughout your career. Share more about that with with us. 
Yeah, sure. Um, after my high school, I decided to start um, studying computer science and uh, electronics engineering. Um, that was my passion because uh, since I was, uh, I mean, a child, I was also fascinated by computers. And one of the things that I remember is also the fact that I immediately understood, um, clearly it was uh, more a dream in that moment, that computers were tools that could emulate a mind uh, could, can, could create something uh, that was uh, what we now call artificial intelligence, or at least we tried to call artificial intelligence. Uh, so when I started my career after graduation, uh, it was um, a completely different period. I mean, it was not the period of data science, it was not the period of AI. Um, so I started in consulting in, um, in computer science, and I tried to dedicate all my resources to uh, particular sectors like data mining or data warehousing um, or data intensive projects. But the explosion that happened um, happened uh, a few years later. Um, and there was a, re a real explosion, um, like, um, you know, a earthquake, because uh, there were two factors. One was uh, the, the fact that a lot of researchers started publishing papers about new approaches that indeed were not new, because what we call now deep learning is something created in the 50s. Uh, they simply uh, applied some corrections and improved the models, but there was a, a big problem, the, the, the complexity of, and the cost of the hardware that was initially too high, so the majority of people could not experiment anything. And thanks to lower costs, the, the, um, the, the cloud infrastructures that start uh, widespreading, um, well, that was uh, the beginning of a revolution because uh, there were a lot of new applications and a lot of new customers also. Uh, and not a lot of companies interested in uh, applying data science and changing their processes to apply data science. So after about, in, uh, let's say, eight years, I would say half of my career, I transitioned definitely into data science. And I'm happy to be here and to remain here. <laughs> I can see it with everything that you share as well. So, yeah, there's been so much change. What have you seen with evolution in the industry? Well, all industries. Um, had to face a revolution, uh, not an evolution. I mean, they, they had a lot of data and data in many cases was just considered as junk. I mean, something mm -hmm. to trash, something that you don't even collect it. Uh, the, the idea of uh, using data was in many cases impossible, um, simply because there was no, no software and the solutions also were very, very limited. Uh, what happened uh, after the beginning of the diffusion of data science was the, also the, the idea of transforming the processes into what we call now data-driven or AI-driven. Data-driven simply means avoid gut feelings in making decisions. So when you want to make a decision, any kind of decision, you can use the data that you have to make decisions. So whole industries now are transitioning. Some of them are faster, some of them are slower, but um, what I can say is that there is an external process and this process is moving in this direction. Uh, 
So if a company loses the chance, uh, it can risk a lot. Uh, that's why it's very important to be nimble in this period, to be ready. You see, there are new startups that then are, are acquired uh, for billions of dollars simply because other companies didn't have uh, the idea or didn't want to invest. So it's a, it's a moment when it's necessary to jump on the train. Mm, such a powerful, powerful statement. You just said just now with having to be nimble, you know, being flexible, being adaptable and being aware about those opportunities, I think is so key, even more so today, because we see things are just happening so much more faster. And about data, I know people have spoken about data is, an, you know, such a great asset, but it's how you use that data, how you refine that data. So it was a valid point where you started that as well. Now, I love uh We've spoken about this topic and it's a big topic for, you know, in terms of jobs and careers. Now, there's so many aspiring data scientists out there. I see it a lot on LinkedIn where people actually put it as part of the headline. So as someone who is such a great leader within the field, what kind of advice or what can you say for a lot of the aspiring data science who data scientists who want to get into the field? Yes, um, I start from a statement that I think is still true. Data science is a very sexy job. I don't know if it's the sexiest job that was considered last year, but it's for sure a very sexy one with very good salaries. <laughs> I've heard it so many times. <laughs> yeah, mm. very good salaries for sure. It's um, a great field. However, as for in, in, in a real relationship, uh, a sexy person must be first of all sexy for you, not for the community. Uh, my suggestion is not uh, a classical one, is evaluating without just, uh, I mean, without discussing, it's just something that you can do alone, thinking about the reality behind data science, uh, thinking about what you have to do, the kinds of studies, the kinds of subjects that you have to master, and if you really like them, because as, a, as, a, as it, we can collect, uh, connect this uh, with the statement of um, my father, I mean, you need to make some effort. I mean, it's not, it's something that you have to learn, something that requires sacrifices. So if you are ready, well, go on, because the road is in front of you. But if you feel that this is not your field, there's nothing wrong. There are many other opportunities and probably they are the sexiest for you. So this is my suggestion. Mm. That's a very important one to note as well, like not looking at what what the, the news is saying as what is the most sexiest job, but finding out what is it for you? What is it within you that you, you could be, you could be an artist or a singer, it could be anything, something creative, or within, there's so many different fields in IT as well. It's amazing you say that you have to listen to that voice within. What are some of the questions that you also shared earlier, Giuseppe, when you were young, what were some of those questions that you were asking that drives you today? And so that also, you know, we lead into this question, and I think this is profound about you've, you know, you've had such an amazing academic background too, Giuseppe, but this is one that people ask a lot today, a lot of the young people, even parents as well, about what is relevant in terms of education. So what are your thoughts? Share it with us about a degree versus doing an online course. Share your thoughts. Well, talking about in particular data science, but I think this is always true. 
But in particular for data science, the most important thing is knowledge. I don't consider formal education as, as something that is a must in a, in a curriculum. Um, what I look is the knowledge. If you acquire the knowledge using different channels, using books, using courses, also just using your experience, it's perfectly fine. There are people who never graduated and reached the, the maximum results, the best results. So it's not a, a matter of, um, of education. Clearly, uh, when we think about very important universities or in general universities, for example, we think about structures with a discipline. And so there is a guarantee that that person uh, um, overcame some obstacles and so it's probably ready to go into the world of, uh, of, the, of the business. But this is not something that in my opinion and uh, in my experience never blocked me from hiring, a, for example, an aspiring data scientist. Since in some cases I've never seen, um, uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't check the education, I just discussed because knowledge is much more important. The problem is on the other side, is the fact that unfortunately, nowadays there is also cheap knowledge and there are many courses which are advertised in a way that is like a way I'm bogus and it's uh, become a data scientist in one week, in 10 days, in a month. Well, something like this is a way to say, I have no knowledge because knowledge requires effort and so you cannot over promise and you cannot promise something that is ridiculous there are people studying for years so you even if you are a genius you cannot become a data scientist in one week or even in one month mm. and it's true as well where you spoke about the importance of knowledge and also applying that knowledge as well so i find that that's such a key thing being able to apply it because sometimes even with degrees you could learn over you know four years i remember my degree but how much of that did I actually use in real life? So finding out what is practical for the field that you're actually going for for the particular career. And that's so key because we are seeing many roles where it says prerequisite, you have to have a master's or a PhD, but you need to know about the organization too. And so from your experience with hiring people, you know specifically what you're looking for. You know, you're actually listening to them, you're having the conversation. And I think that is so much more profound as well, like getting to know the person, what drives them, because we all have that potential to learn and get better too. And I think that's, I can hear from your words, that's what you see as a great leader, the potential, you know, the potential that the candidates have as well. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when we talk about leadership, I have um, an example. In general, I use this example because um, I think that the word of um, military uh, has taught a lot about real leadership. But in this case, I refer to a sentence by Julius Caesar, um, attributed to Julius Caesar. And it's a very common one, it's very famous, and it's Veni Bidi Vici. That is Latin and it's translated as uh, I came, I arrived, um, I saw, and I won. Uh, I try to explain this in terms of leadership. A, a real leader, first of all, must move. Moving means moving from a, a state to another state, must first 
understand that if he doesn't move, uh, nothing will reach him. I mean, it's it's a situation where you have to start, you have to jump, you have to, to walk, you have to organize everything, you have to, 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 to define your path. And this is the first step. Um, you cannot win a war uh, if you remain in a place and uh, the other army is in another place. But then there is also another moment, and it's the moment when you arrive close and imagine you are on a hill or a mountain and you start seeing the horizon. That's developing a vision, understanding the reality you are facing. And that's the, the sentence I saw when he said, I saw, I saw the reality around me. So I, I, I didn't just uh, use my, um, my dreams or my, my internal vision. I, I needed to, to see, to understand, and to understand how the structure of the territory was, and this can be easily uh, transferred in the world of leadership, understanding the reality and how it's evolving, and then automatically it's like, say, I won. I won because I was ready to face any challenge, because uh, uh, we cannot imagine a company that always wins. Uh, this is um, a false statement. We know that all companies have ups and downs. We know that some company in some cases can lose market share, but this is not losing. Losing is a situation where you cannot restart. But he was in the position of continuing his battle forever. I mean, that winning for me, it's the meaning of a real leader. A real leader must prepare a company to stay for centuries. I would say probably this is uh, too much, but if you are, if you have this mindset, you are never out of the game. Mm, so valid uh, in terms of all the points that you mentioned there about leadership. And there's so much talk about what great leadership is today. And I share a lot about this online too. And we can see what leadership works and what doesn't. So share as well, you know, you've been a great example of a leader within your field and also in terms of what you share online too. But what are some of the qualities that you see for a successful leader in data science and AI? Well, in data science and AI, um, a leader must be really data-driven in this case. Um, continuing the example, um, also Julius Caesar and the generals were data-driven. They sent explorers to check. You cannot trust your eyes because uh, there can be an enemy hidden in the bushes. So you need to get data. And nowadays it's absolutely important. It's, uh, I think, probably the most important position in certain cases, uh, creating a role in a company that can control the overall strategy of the company in terms of uh, data-driven and AI-driven. Because um, a company is a very complex ecosystem, in particular large companies, and it's very difficult sometimes to find uh, uh, from the bottom this, uh, this good, um, let's say, harmonization of different parts. So it's necessary to go up and to see the overall situation and to start thinking that you have to transfer in the mindset in particular of the reluctant people the idea that data-driven 
means that you are always the same, that you have the same position, but you are more precise. You can concentrate on more creative activities. You can do more with less effort and you can get better results. So mm -hmm. this is probably the, the most important uh, meaning. Mm, it's such a profound one, especially today, because we have so much access to data. It's so quick. You think you can make decisions a lot more quicker today with the ease of having access to that data. So it's profound that you said that. And, you know, we've seen you've published so many great books uh, within your field about time management. I mean, you probably get this question all the time, you know, leading within your firm, but also having the time, not just publishing one book, but the several that I also mentioned before. So within this busyness that people think in this world, I don't like to use the word busy, I, I like to say productive. And so share as a, as a leader and as someone who's so passionate about the field and wanting to reach so many people around the globe with your work about, you know, time and how you use your time to be able to do these amazing things that you do well the main, i think the main uh, the main motivation is thinking that what you are doing is something that is improving you is is something that can give something back i mean you have uh, it's an investment a real investment it's it's not a, an investment with uh, a question mark like a normal investment where you know it can go up and down. In this case, the, the probability of going down is almost zero if you work hard in the majority of cases. So in my case, um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's also a problem of stress management, clearly, because uh, uh, we are human beings, so we need to relax also. And in some cases, uh, it's necessary to, to find a balance. But um, it's also a way to, to think how you want to find this kind of balance because you, you can find a lot of energy in you. So this kind of energy uh, can be found when you understand that what you're doing is so important for you and you start feeling happy of doing this. So in my case, for example, it happened that during the weekends uh, when I had spare time, uh, I was so happy uh, to, to, to write. It was strange because in that moment, uh, you normally think to go outside, to, 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 to hang out. But in some cases, I was so happy because uh, I had ideas and I thought, well, this idea is really interesting. So if I write in this way, I can develop this concept. So, yes, of course, uh, you're right. Time management is important. And I'm, I'm not saying that we have to work 24 hours per day. This is clearly impossible, but we have to do what we really like. And when we do what we really like, time loses is, is you power. You don't count the hours, right? You're not counting the hours. You just enjoy it. And then you look at your time. You look at the time. Really? <laughs> exactly. You just enjoy it. And I think that's a, you gave some amazing hints there as well about when people think, you know, I, I've shared this procrastination is one of the, 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 the biggest reasons for failure. And so you have to ask yourself why in that situation. But the thing is, you reversed everything because you're doing something that you love and you said it's an investment in yourself. And so when you know you've used that with data as well, the opportunity is 
to, to fail with that is 0% because you are investing in yourself. You're also sharing with other people. And even though you, you also, I loved how you said sometimes when we find inspiration, it's always good to go to different places and you find that as well and it really helps with your work. And also understand that it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, people use the word hustle, for example, that you have to work 24 hours a day or 14 hours, whatever the hours it is. But I find that when you are passionate, it is your calling and you want to get up and you want to share and it's something that you love to do, that changes it. You don't look at the time. You don't say, oh, well, you know, I've got one more hour to go. No, you just keep working through it. And that is lasting success, finding something that you love to do. And so now this is another area that you love. Uh, we've spoken about these areas before. So it's, you know, I can see sometimes a sparkle in your eye when we speak about these topics. Now, AI, talk to us as well about the role of AI shaping our future. Well, um, AI is, um, is like, uh, you know, for example, when you see a blooming flower, uh, in an accelerated motion. If you look 30 years ago and now, you see so many changes uh, that it's very difficult to imagine in, uh, or in, in, it's also very difficult to understand because we are so concentrated in the current moment. AI is um, probably the last one, the, the, the last part of this uh, chain of changes. And AI is changing the world around us. Um, I think um, at least for the last five years, there were more and more applications that were uh, improved and they become so um, easy to integrate it in our devices so that you are not even completely um, aware of what you're doing, but indeed you are using them. Uh, for example, uh, you can take a picture of, um, you know, for example, you walk, you see um, uh, a bag and you like the bag, but you don't remember the brand, you can take a picture and immediately you can have the best price and you can even press a button and order uh, the bag for the best price. Or you can do many other things. Clearly, I'm talking about very simple applications, but if we think about uh, all uh, technological applications or healthcare applications, AI is becoming pervasive um, and is changing our world. It's changing our world because together with data-driven and AI, there is the step of AI-driven, that is not letting human beings only using data, but using AI uh, or letting AI using the data, we, get, we can get more and more insights and better insights, insights that overcome the limitations of our perception and our abilities. So AI is really changing our world. But I've, I ask to wait another few years to understand and to feel the difference. Because mm. sometimes oh, we, we're really living with a lot of AI around us and something simple as Siri, you can just ask Siri straight away, what's the closest restaurant near me? You know, Italian restaurant, for example. And so all of these things at our fingertips is just truly, truly incredible. And even with facial recognition as well, I think, wow, some of them, they remember faces more than we we could. You know? 
So it's kind of hilarious to think how advanced we are with AI and the future as well about it. And so, you know, we see so many areas where AI has progressed so far. We've seen so many examples. What about thinking about a musician or a painter, you know, an AI creating a musician or painter from scratch? Well, this is a very, very interesting question. And I think uh, in this case, uh, the situation is a little bit different. I mean, uh, if we think about art, we need to think about the semantics behind art. Art is, is not just uh, creating, for example, in case of uh, uh, painting, it's not just uh, writing down symbols or just stroking on the wall. Um, in particular, if you consider modern art uh, and you look at some paintings, you can understand the meaning and the way the painter expressed this meaning. Right now, in this very moment, AI has not this semantics, simply because AI is AI and it's not a human being. Uh, I always make this example because I love the painting Guernica by Picasso. Uh, Picasso wrote this painting to describe the horror of the war in Spain. When you ask an AI, tell me about this, the answer is clearly nothing because it doesn't make any sense for an AI. So now there are systems that can imitate. So it's possible to perform some sort of imitation. You can create, for example, patterns. There are companies that can use this AI for creating new patterns or finding new, new textures, but this is not creating from, from scratch art because there's no the intentionality of creating art. Mm. Yeah, and to, uh, how profound is that? And when we think about ethics as well, I think this also has people thinking about the ethics of AI, some, there's some controversial ideas about AI. I know it helps people so much more than, you know, in terms of what the ethics that we see in terms of controversial ideas. But share more about that because I know that's a big theme that people speak about a lot. Yes. AI ethics uh, is uh, a new field. It was, um, it was born probably a couple of years ago. Um, and the reason is that some applications of AI are considered dangerous. Uh, so one of the most common is space recognition. Um, and the problem is not about AI. The problem is about biases. So when, when we make a judgment, in general, we, we, we can have a bias. If we have this bias, this bias can, be, can compromise the, the result. So we expect AI to be bias-free, but this is very difficult, almost impossible in some cases. For this reason, uh, uh, it's helpful to have uh, a focus on some applications uh, to guarantee uh, using some specific frameworks that are being developed um, by AI ethics committees that some application before becoming mainstream, they are evaluated. But uh, my viewpoint is a little bit different. Um, I'm not um, on the side of prohibiting or banning. I, I read sometimes posts which are very disappointing when they say the government should ban face recognition. What does it mean? That means nothing. Because mm -hmm. when you have a technology, it's like having a blade in your hand. 
if you have a blade in your hand, you, you can be a surgeon and you can save a life or you can be a killer and you can kill a person. So banning is not, not a way to solve a problem. We have a lot of problems in the world. The world is full of situations of good AI, good potential AI. Uh, it's possible to use AI for climate change. It's possible to use AI to improve agriculture in countries where uh, it's difficult to forecast, for example, um, the, um, the quality of the, um, of the breeds. Uh, or, for example, in, uh, it's possible to use AI to also in healthcare in so many applications or using AI for understanding uh, how to optimize the, the movement uh, of, the, um, of, the, um, of the goods, for example, to, to, to save uh, energy. I mean, there are so many that if I have to start thinking about the potential applications, I can mm -hmm. do this for days, and I think it's for everyone. So why mm -hmm. do we have to prohibit? We have to increase instead the knowledge and say, let's do something interesting. Let's do something helpful for humanity. Let's help mankind instead of saying prohibiting. That's so true. And I love how you ended with humanity because that's what, you know, that's a true, what are we solving? It's always for humanity. It should be for humanity. And the analogy where you spoke about the blade, I think that's so true. You know, how are you going to use it? We have a choice to do good with it. And there is so much potential, as you mentioned as well, how it can enhance our lives, especially within healthcare as well. And it's been, I, I see how it's uh, impacted my life in a positive way. So you think about the world, organisations, how just even time, I know we spoke about time before, but how much time it actually saves us from doing a lot of things, solving a lot of problems. And so when we think about that as well, about saving time, uh, future of jobs. Now, that's a very interesting topic as well, especially with the change within technology. I know I know we've spoken about this before, where there's always been a change in the future of jobs, but where do you see the future of jobs well, jobs, um, in my opinion, are changing and they, they change over time. Um, they change independently because, um, for example, some people lose interest in something and they want other, other goods. So it's necessary to change the job together with the culture. And clearly, AI is, um, it, it is a new way, a new technology that can have an impact on jobs. And there are people who are really scared. Um, they are called neo-ludists neo or neo... I mean, they, they want to kill the machines, destroy the machines because they want to take the job. The reality is completely different. Mm -hmm. First of all, AI is requiring more and more specialized people. So there are a lot of people in countries. For example, I have a lot of contacts in uh, the Northern Africa who are keen to learn and ready to enter in this, into this sector, or there, there are new possibilities to optimize existing jobs. So we cannot think a job as a static thing. In some cases, for sure, it's necessary to keep the job as it is. Um, but I, I, would, I would like to make an example. I, I love watches. I love mechanical watches, for example. So in this case, you always see the watchmaker 
the real watchmaker if you go to Geneva in Switzerland and they work on the watch but they use a lot of tools that their fathers didn't have so the reality is that some jobs are changing in any way so I'm not afraid of the future of jobs because I'm I'm more afraid of the fact that we don't have enough resources uh, sometimes I read posts on, on, on newspapers uh, or sometimes also on, um, on media channels where they say a, a nation is asking for people, for specialized people from other countries because they don't have people inside. This is ridiculous. I mean, there are so, so many people who are ready to start working in this direction. They just have to convert. They just have to learn. And it's the discussion that we had at the beginning. Mm. If- Absolutely. Uh, that's so true. And I love how you use the word we shouldn't be afraid because it's just an opportunity for growth, finding out the exciting possibilities in the future as well. And also think more global. Just as you said, there are some countries out there who are in need for people with your skills or what you're looking for. So to be very open-minded about the opportunities worldwide uh, and you know just the fact in that you're in Germany, I've, I know you've had some great global experience and that's the thing the opportunities are so vast you need to have that abundant mindset and so something I know we spoke about the mind early on and the, you've got a powerful mind you can say <laughs> you, you we can notice that by the words that you say the thinking and the responses and now let's mix those concepts together about current AI and the real intelligent mind so um, artificial intelligence is uh, a discipline that was developed after computer science and it's based on computer science and clearly it relies on the complexity of computers and the ability of computers to solve problems very quickly particular kinds of problems um, it was um, since the beginning one of the the problems uh, that was um, for example targeted by artificial intelligence is solving uh, games that required the research of the solution. But immediately some mathematicians understood that some problems like chess, for example, were so complex in terms of number of states that if they had to create a system using that methodology, uh, they couldn't do it because their computers were too limited. Um, The first interesting result happened when, for example, IBM developed Deep Blue um, that defeated Garry Kasparov. This computer, this, it was a very big computer, it was almost a supercomputer, uh, was able to evaluate a large, a large number of possibilities before each move and to make the, the, the move that maximized the, the, the probability of winning. And another interesting result, which is probably much more AI, is uh, the result obtained, uh, obtained by Google DeepMind uh, with AlphaGo. It was obtained a few years ago. Um, the, the game of Go, um, then honestly, I don't know the rules, but I know that it's the most complex game in terms of number of states. And there were no computer programs that were able to win against the world champion. And the world champion was defeated by AlphaGo, by this, this software that was trained for a very long time and succeeded. So uh, for sure, 
in terms of problems, AI is becoming more and more powerful. And this, I, I'm making examples where the, we are, let's say, we are considering co the complexity, the computational complexity of the problems. But when we think about cognitive functions, AI is still very, very limited. Um, let's consider face recognition. Mm -hmm. um, a data set that allows a good face recognition must contain a large number of images, a very, very no large number of images. A baby can learn to distinguish a face from a toy by looking three or four people, probably. No nothing more. Or you see uh, a baby can learn to crawl very, very easily. Uh, now we see robots that can do very interesting movements, can jump, can rotate. But indeed, we can do this and we can learn this very quickly. So there is still a gap. And this gap is the work that all the research is doing and will continue doing in the next years, understanding the missing link between current intelligence, current artificial intelligence and real intelligence. Because mm -hmm. when we fill this gap, we can really create systems that have the same learning ability of animals, not necessarily human beings, of animals. And that will be an, an extraordinary result. Mm, I know all the examples that you mentioned, very, very exciting. And I remember when that was announced and people were going on YouTube to see all of that in action. So it is amazing how far we have come in terms of technology, AI, but also understanding what was behind that. Also the human effort and the intelligence to be able to create you know, the software and everything that we have today. And definitely with facial recognition that we notice that, yes, you do need lots of data. You do need lots of images to get to that. Um, but it's amazing how advanced we have come. It is truly, truly incredible. And so we have some fun questions for you as well, Giuseppe. Uh, the first one is about, you know, some profound people who people still talk about today. First one is Einstein. If Einstein walked in a room, what would you ask him? If he walked in the room and you were sitting down, what would you ask him? Well, I would ask him to, to pay his rental forever to keep it <laughs> in my room, for sure. But yeah, um, I probably wouldn't ask anything uh, about his work because uh, it's so easy to find uh, publications and it doesn't make sense to ask him. But I know that Einstein was a person that had a very interesting life. He, he was a genius and he was convinced to have a very uh, extraordinary intelligence. But he started working uh, in a patent office. Um, clearly, uh, I think that that moment was very uh, strong for him. He, he, I would like to understand how he felt, how he resist, how he uh, was able to be ready to produce such extraordinary results once he was able to, to leave um, uh, his country to go to, to Princeton. Because uh, there are people who, after just a few years, in a, for example, in a, in a bad job, they become depressed, they lose any interest. Instead, when he left uh, Europe because uh, of the Nazi regime uh, and he went to Princeton, he became like a, a rocket, 
I mean, he started mm -hmm. to creating, uh, I mean, publishing with the extraordinary results. And I mean, we know the, the, the kind of genius that he was. So I would like to understand what he felt mm -hmm. in that period. And I would like to learn his secret. Mm. And you know, you spoke about secret just now, and I was looking more into Einstein. You think about this: when he passed away, his brain was stolen. <laughs> That's yeah. how sad it was. They wanted to know, and yes, they did find um, some clues to why he, you know, about his intelligence. But just to, you know, and I think all of us we have that intelligence. The thing is, we must use it. You know, we must use it. And I think they're great examples of Einstein where he used that intelligence. He knew who he was and he wasn't afraid of who he was as a person. He always spoke up the truth. And an interesting fact about him was he didn't wear socks. He literally, even when he went to the White House, he didn't wear socks. He said, what's the point? You know, there's always going to be, everyone knows when they have socks, you're going to have that hole, you know, from the from the big toe. But he just didn't care. It didn't matter where he went. He didn't wear socks. He said, what was the point? And that was who he was. And I think it's a, he gives us some great clues about who are you? Are you using your intelligence? Because I know most of us, we could be in roles and we think we have so much more potential. But he really showed that, uh, you know, throughout his whole life. And something that we know I know about you as well you love to read you know you're an avid reader you share a lot about this as well what book would, would you recommend you know something that's been life-changing for you too yeah I'm I would recommend many books because uh, I really love books but I don't want to recommend any leadership book in this case but I want to recommend a more generic book that I think can be adapted to many different contexts and it's a book written by Hermann Hesse, and it's uh, the story of Siddhartha. So the, the title is Siddhartha. And this is a very short book, a book that can be read in two, three days. Uh, but it's uh, a fantastic story, not because uh, of the story of Siddhartha that many people already know, but the ability of Hesse in describing some scenes is uh, extraordinary. I would like just to reveal one scene that was impressed in my mind and remain there and, and it's always there because uh, it's um, w w when I'm depressed in some moments I think about that approach and uh, it, it's a sort of a mantra I mean when Siddhartha wanted to leave uh, his palace he asked his father his father was like I mean it, it, it was the king I mean it was so so important that he had to, to give his uh, approval and he said, obviously, no, but Siddhartha wanted to leave it, the palace, but he wanted the approval too. He could mm -hmm. just escape. So he started standing in front of his father in his office, in his, uh, in his place. And his father, after a while, left. And I, after dinner, he went to bed. And at night, he woke up and he saw the light on and he saw from the shadow that Siddhartha was there standing in the same exact position where he was when he left him and he understood he will remain there forever I mean it, it's stronger than me it, it, it can resist anything because he has an objective and he wants to achieve that objective so this book uh, I don't want to tell other parts of the books because otherwise I spoil too much, but I think that it's a really, really 
stunning story that can change the, the life of many people. Wow, that's truly powerful uh, for you to be able to share that story. And that's the thing, the power of stories, the power of words that can really impact our life. And so now we have a very interesting question. I love speaking about this man because he really devoted his life to his inventions and he was so passionate about making a difference in the world. His name is Nikola Tesla, and he was born on July 10, 1856, about 164 years ago. And I know you shared this recently, Giuseppe, about Elon Musk using his name for his cutting-edge technology company. So share more about that. So interested to know more. Well, uh, I don't know if uh, the, the reason is uh, exactly this, but for sure there are many parallel elements. Um, uh, they both left uh, their their origin countries and continents to reach the U.S. And in particular, Tesla was attracted by Edison. Um, if I'm not wrong, um, he uh, saw some Edison products in an exhibition, and he considered Edison like a dream. It's like a dream job. So he left for the U.S. He arrived in New York um, and immediately looked for 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 Edison. Um, and he started working with a, in a very humble position. He was um, an engineer with a very scientific mindset, and he immediately he understood, first of all, that Edison was completely different. He was a businessman and with uh, also a very good interest in science, but he was not a real scientist because his approach was uh, much more dispersive. Um, but he decided, uh, Tesla decided to accept many compromises to continue working for Tesla, uh, for, uh, sorry, for Edison. Um, the real problem happened when uh, uh, he discovered, Tesla discovered that it was much cheaper to produce alternate current. And in that period, instead, Edison was convinced that direct current was the, the right choice. So, it, there was an internal war uh, between the two. Um, Tesla remained completely unpaid and without money. And he found in Westinghouse is um, is uh, capitalist, is, is venture capitalist that had the plants. I think in Pennsylvania, if I'm not wrong. Um, and he invited him to start working. Um, I think that uh, there are two lessons. First of all, that and that are very important. And one is uh, the same as for, uh, for Elon Musk. Um, I read that Elon Musk, uh, when he wanted to create SpaceX, he started studying rocket science, real rocket science. So he bought books and he recommends some books of rocket science. So it's uh, the right approach to understand uh, like a scientist. Clearly he's not a scientist, but he has a good awareness. On the other side, uh, another lesson is that Edison was already rich, but he was he, he, he decided to renounce to uh, a, a, a jump in his uh, in his career that could make uh, him probably the, the richest man in the world, uh, just because he didn't want to uh, change his mind. Uh, because he, he didn't want to give the money for creating uh, alternate current generators. Um, so the lesson is double. Uh, on one side is that um, the scientific mindset uh, is probably the, the most interesting thing that we, we all have to, uh, to cultivate, to, 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 to use every day in our life. 
being very logic, rational, um, do not make very quick decisions that sometimes are wrong, uh, take the time to, to reflect. And the other one is that sometimes it's helpful to change your mind if uh, there are rock-solid proofs that you're wrong and you can uh, become uh, much healthier uh, uh, or you can, you, you can obtain extraordinary results thanks to, to this, uh, to changing your mind instead of keeping your position. That's very valid. Uh, so, so true. And I love before how you use the word nimble, you know, being, being able to be nimble. And that's also with yeah. decisions as well, you know, being very clear and decisive. And I think I know that's one of the great qualities of leaders about being decisive, especially in the world that we are in today, where there is a lot at stake. And so when we, you know, we speak also, we spoke about AI, uh, but with your experience, with your knowledge about AI in the healthcare sector, tell us about the importance of AI and some of the trends that you've been seeing as well. Yes, of course. Um, first of all, uh, when I think about AI, um, I think about um, uh, the definition given by the WHO, which is a three-dimensional concept. So there is a, a physical health, a mental health, and social health. So these three elements must be taken into account but by any uh, healthcare organization. And AI can really help in uh, improving the life quality of people. It's not just helping the physicians. It's not just solving problems um, for, uh, I mean, for example, for decoding images or uh, providing better understanding of uh, uh, results which are difficult to decode. But it's also becoming a tool to improve the life of people, to reduce risks, to, um, to help the people to live a better life. And this is the final goal indeed, because we are not uh, working to create artificial physicians. We are working to improve the ability of physicians to give them tools which are more accurate. Just like when you use a microscope, you use a microscope because your eyes cannot allow you to see at that level. So in the same way, we can use AI, for example, to diagnose something from uh, images uh, thanks to the fact that AI relies on uh, a complexity that is not built in this particular case in our brain. But on the other side, using IOTs, for example, uh, we can improve uh, the life of many people by helping them in, uh, in, in the, their daily routines. So in helping them in, for example, in uh, many sectors related to mental health, uh, improving the social conditions. So it's a real, complex thing, but I think that healthcare, uh, that is my sector, but in, in general, is probably the sector for AI. Because when we improve the health of people, then we can do all the remaining things. If a person is sick, if a person, uh, you know, the, like in the Maslow pyramid, if you have a lot of problems if you don't have that stability. You cannot think about buying a Tesla, for example, a car. I mean, you cannot think about buying the new Apple. You cannot think about these things. You just think to stay well. 
So that's why I think that AI in healthcare has a primary role and is shaping uh, the future of medicine by improving the drug discovery, for example, by improving the speed of finding solutions in terms of uh, new medicines, by improving imaging, by improving the precision of some tools that can help to perform high precision surgery and, and many other fields. So AI is really providing a very strong help. Always keeping at the center the physician who is the domain expert and we rely on them. So we don't want artificial physicians for them. Yeah, wow, wow. And it is, you see the impact that it can make. And I love how you said it is, it's important. Why? Because health is at the center of our lives. You know, health is wealth. And so when you focus on humanity and you see how much it helps us as people as well, it is truly, truly magnificent to hear that from your side, really understanding what's the intention? How are we enhancing people's lives? And also, you know, being able to maintain our health within that, that scope as well. And so, we just want to say thank you so much, Giuseppe. You've shared so many golden nuggets throughout the episode. You shared also your story and also about leadership, what it takes to be a great leader. So what are some last words from you, Giuseppe? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And we're so excited to share this. We thank you so much for your support and make sure you follow him on LinkedIn. He he provides so many insights as well. I'll share that in the description where you can find him. Amazing books within your field, within data science, AI, machine learning. He is truly, truly a great example of leadership today. So thank you, Giuseppe. Thank you.